You're listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Join us as we learn from successful firefighters and fire service leaders on how to achieve excellence. When lives depend on us, success is our only option. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode, everyone. I'm so glad you could join us again for another great conversation with a true leader in the fire service. I'm your host and the author of Firefighter Success, Jim Moss. A 37-year veteran of the fire service, Aaron Heller began his fire service career in 1984. He is a deputy chief in the Hamilton, New Jersey Fire Department. He previously served as the fire chief for the Hamilton Township Fire District Number 9. Deputy Chief Heller is a New Jersey Level 2 instructor, fire official, and EMT. He is a past chief of the New Egypt Volunteer Fire Company and past chairman of the Plumstead Township Board of Fire Commissioners. Chief Heller is a senior instructor with the Mercer County Fire Academy. He instructs and presents at several national, regional, and local training events throughout the United States and abroad. He has been published in Fire Engineering Magazine, Fire and Rescue Magazine, and the Fire Department Training Network, and several local publications. He is a former co-host of the Fire Engineering Hump Day Hangout on Training. Aaron is a founding member of the New Jersey Fools chapter of the Fraternal Order of the Leatherhead Society. Chief Heller holds a bachelor's degree in fire science from Columbia Southern University. And lastly, he is the founder and owner of On Scene Training Associates, LLC. Chief Aaron Heller, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. It's it's really a thrill to be back on and, and to get on with you. Yeah, and I'm so glad we could connect in this way and, and record this conversation because we've been talking a lot, you know, through social media, texting a lot, but it's so good when we can connect like this and uh, have a conversation. Yeah, that's 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 the best part. I mean, crazy how how uh, our world works now, but social media and uh, and the the power of the web is is pretty amazing. So I'm I'm thrilled. Awesome. Well, let's get started. So this is a question I like to ask everybody, especially fire service leaders. So you've been in the fire service for a long time, uh, and you have held nearly every position possible. So what is your personal definition of success in life and for the fire service? Uh, it's that's a it's a great kickoff question. Um, I think that in all reality, if we leave it better than we found it, if we leave Number one, the fire service better than we found it. If if uh, we were we were a contributor and not a detractor, we gave to the service, and we didn't take away from it. You know, we we gave it more. We gave it more than we took. Yes, uh, I think that's a successful, uh, successful goal. You know, that to me, that's what it is. And, and in life, gosh, it's that's like you know the one of the biggest questions you could have probably. And and I again, I think it's that we were positive influence on people. Um, we, we added value to other people's lives and we, we lived a life that people could be proud of that, that in the end, when you're judged, you could, you can hold your head up and say, did okay. And, and I did better than, uh, better than average or, or something to that degree. Yeah, I love that you brought up being a contributor and someone who adds value because whether it's the fire service or whether it's our personal lives, you know, there's there's so many firefighters that show up 
just to punch the clock, right? Or they just want the title, they just want the t-shirt or the tattoo or whatever it is. And so they look, like you said, at taking away from the fire service or what can I get out of the fire service or being a firefighter. But I believe, like you said, the successful ones are the ones who are contributing, the ones that are pouring in, the ones who are adding value, like you said, to others. And that goes for the same for being at home, whether you're a husband, wife, brother, sister, parent, whoever, are you looking to add value and contribute to your family, to your friends and beyond? Would you agree with that? I absolutely would. I, I absolutely would. And, and, you know, in life, we all know that, that our lives are roller coasters and there's, there's going to be chapters that aren't always the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived that. I've had some pretty crappy chapters that I've written in my own book, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and you own it. Um, but then I, I, so far I've had some tremendous chapters, you know, the, the success of raising two wonderful children, um, the success of, of maybe, you know, being that contributor in the job and, um, and helping other people and, and being somebody that can be a positive influence. Um, and in, and in my personal life, you know, finally finding someone that, uh, that, that we hold the same values, we hold everything really close to one another and and can share that as as I get old you know and and, and as she does so I think that it it's we we write many chapters of the book and sure hope that the majority of them are positive and and contributing that's right and we're not all always going to be perfect you know you're you're a chief you know I'm a I'm a captain and we're leaders within our fire departments and hopefully beyond within our own, you know, sphere of influence in our own personal lives. And we're not going to be perfect, but when we do make those mistakes, you know, we just got to own it and and learn from them and, uh, you know, decide to do better next time. So as it comes to, we talked about what, you know, is success and successful qualities of successful firefighters. What are some qualities that you typically see of unsuccessful firefighters? Uh, unsuccessful firefighters. That's a, that's, that's a great one. Uh, laziness. Mm-hmm. Laziness is probably at the top of the list. Um, firefighters who have no buy-in, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're, they're paycheck firemen. Uh, I, I despise paycheck firemen. I understand them. I understand it's a great job. You know, it provides great benefits and, uh, you know, but to me, your job is number one when you're there. You, you can't just be there for the, for the paycheck. You can't just be there for the benefits. You can't just be there for the t-shirt. You, you gotta be all in. Um, so, so that, that would be something that would really be upsetting. Um, those with excess bravado. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan of a firefighter with a little bit of a chip, a little bit of an ego. I'm okay with that. A little bit well, of swagger. You might yeah, say. Yeah, sure. And, and, and I know when I was young, I was way too cocky. <laughs> and learn some pretty valuable lessons. And I, there's probably days that people think I'm still too cocky and, and need a, a knock down a peg, but um, a little bit of swagger is okay. But when that swagger, it starts to demean others. Uh, when that swagger makes others feel like they're less quality or they're less capable or something of that nature, then it's, it's over the top and it's got to go. Yeah, uh, So well said. And, you know, I like that. I agree with you. I, as a company officer, 
I like my crew to be the hardest working crew on the fire ground and the best trained crew on the fire ground. Are we always, maybe not, but, you know, I like to push for that. And maybe I take a little, uh, you know, that's, that's my swagger with my crew on, on the fire ground or at training when we have hands-on training where we're doing timed events with the rest of the shift, the rest of the battalion, you know, I want my crew to be the quickest, uh, to throw ladders, you know, to have the quickest time or to force the door to mask up or whatever it is. I think that's a good thing. But like you said, I, I completely 100% agree with what you said. Once your swagger um, or that sense of healthy pride turns into an unhealthy level of, of being proud, you know, and, and starting to take away from others or look down on others, that's when we really need to reevaluate. Would you agree? I really would. I, I think that's so, so important. Um, having confidence is a good thing. It mm-hmm. really is in, in anything you do. What, you know, as, as I was a pretty successful young ball player as a kid. When I stepped into the batter's box, there were very few pitchers. I didn't think I could knock one, you know, somewhere on. But if you if you go in overconfident, over cocky, it will bite you in the butt. Sure will. And, and you know, we've all had that happen to us. And and it, it doesn't portray us in a good light. It, it took me many years to understand it, I think, especially as a young guy. Um, and I and my mom, one of my mom's sayings, and I think it came from my grandmother, is that you can't put an old head on young shoulders. <laughs> and it's right. really it's really true. Uh, it really is. I think my grandma would have said it in Yiddish, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but it really is true. So with age comes that maturity at times. And, uh, and with that comes, uh, hopefully you back it down a few pegs and you use your, you use your confidence to, to benefit the crew, benefit your career, benefit everybody around you and not to demean anybody else. My, yeah. my biggest thing is don't big league somebody, you know, you may think you're the big leaguer, but that, that younger guy or that younger girl, who's just trying to learn doesn't need to be demeaned in any way, shape or form. They don't need to be treated like a minor leaguer because you're, you've been in the pros for so long, you know? I 100% agree. So what are two to three or even more things that every firefighter can start doing today to put them on the right path to success? I know you said to avoid being lazy, uh, you know, those firefighters who aren't engaged, who aren't, you know, haven't bought in, or they've kind of cashed themselves out, or those who are too cocky. Those are the things that they should avoid. But what are two or three positive things that every firefighter can just do today to have more buy-in, more passion and, and engagement for the job? I think the number one, the number one in my book would be to be humble. Amen. <laughs> um, humility is humility is is a, a priceless quality. Um and, and again, not all of us have always been humble. I, I know there's been days where I should have been far more humble than I was. Um, but but a, a humility level that it, it's really important. And with humility will come open mindedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a young firefighter, especially, but even us old firefighters, open mindedness is, is really key as the world is continually changing. Uh, you know, good example. When I was a kid, when I when we were taught in probie school how to throw ladders we were taught flat flat raises we were taught some beam raises we were taught to foot the ladder from underneath mm-hmm. now anybody with with any real fire ground knowledge or or experience understands that that's textbook but that's not truly how most of us do it in the field anymore mm-hmm. 
you know, we get out in front of the ladder so we can foot it the right way and we can have full vision and we can actually be a, a useful part of the crew and not just a turtle underneath there trying not to get smashed with glass. Right. And uh, we're, we're also lucky if we have someone footing the ladder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that uh, I work in a place with four man trucks, uh, four man squads, three man engines. But um, yeah, I mean, the place where there's just one or two guys running that rig, it's, it's a whole nother world. But but my point to this is that, you know, when I learned that, that's how I learned to do it. Mm-hmm. I had to have an open mind when somebody said to me, hey, that's really not the best way to do it. This is a better way to do it. And for the rest of my career, that's how I've done it. Um, so I, you, you have to have an open mind in this job. And, and I think even more so now than ever because of the continual changes. You know, we had continual changes just due to COVID. So we had to be open-minded on how we're going to do training or how we're going to interact in our own fire departments. Um, you know, could we all eat together? Couldn't we all eat together? You mm-hmm. know, all these things that I never would have ex- thought I would experience in my career. So, and as a young person, you're going to get so much stuff thrown at you and you've got to process a lot of crap at one time. Mm-hmm. So you really can't just say, well, this is the way I was taught it. This is the only way you've got to really think about different things. And and I just think open-mindedness is a good thing in life in general. Yeah. I, I really believe and agree with you that humility is, is really the foundation. I, I've said that over and over again, and that's why I put it in chapter one of the firefighter success book of, of why it is the foundation to, and really the launching point to everything else tied to a firefighter success. Uh, I love that you said to have an open mind and be adaptable. Uh, one of the favorite, my favorite chapters that I actually wrote uh, in the firefighter success book was the chapter on change, just like you said, because the fire service is constantly evolving and we have to evolve with it if we're going to be successful firefighters. I mean, think about how it's changed over the last 300 years in in the United States from bucket brigades to you know, steam horse-drawn steamer engines to, you know, the PPE that's changed to technology with how we're dispatched and just within the last year, right? The the COVID precautions that we've had to take and the how we need to be adaptable inside the firehouse and outside of the firehouse as well. So excellent point that you brought up there. And, uh, and I think if there's one key thing to being more humble, and ho- hopefully you agree, it's just that we would speak less and listen more Uh, 100 (laughs) yeah and and i know that was something drilled into us when i was young was you know one mouth two ears oh yeah and remember that um i mean back then we were we were pretty much told shut up and listen um now i think we're a little we're a little more accepting of of the younger younger firefighters uh opinions at least we we want a lot of us want to hear what they're thinking about so we can understand them better but to that degree i mean i've got a son who's 21 years old will be 22 next week or next month and he's in probie school in uh in south carolina and that's one of the things that i told him was listen no matter what you think you know you don't know much (laughs) you know listen to the bosses and learn from who's teaching you and then you'll adapt and understand what you believe and what you don't believe later. But until then, just, you know, kind of kind of stay quiet and, and learn your your lessons. And when we speak, whether we're young firefighters or old firefighters, it, this really comes back to your very first point about being successful. 
adding value, right? Are we going to add value to the conversation? Are we going to add value to the training? Are we going to add value to the relationship or the interaction by what we're going to say? Or is what we're going to say completely going to distract everything and detract everything to where, you know, it, it basically takes away value from, from the, uh, from the conversation. So I love the, the think principle, uh, you know, T H I N K. So is what you're saying uh, are about to say, you know, run it through this filter. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So if it can pass those five things, then that, then we can say it. If not, then we might as well just keep it in our own head and not blurt it out, which so many firefighters do. And I've done in the past, I'm sure you've done in the past as well. And we immediately regret you know, whatever came out of our mouths once it, it didn't pass that think filter. Would you agree? I would totally agree. And there's so many times I should have done that before I spouted off. Uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's an old saying that, you know, uh, better, to re, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yes, yes. And the wise, wise man is usually the quiet one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, uh, I learned a lot about that from my dad. And, and he was that kind of man, very, very calm cool and 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 when he spoke there was a reason for it and uh i wish i had followed his lead many times <laughs> so. yeah well he he led by example he taught you by example and and sometimes we need to learn the hard way like you said yeah. you know sometimes we we do blurt out those things and we're like uh why did i say that and i think we've all been there yeah i still catch my well i don't catch myself and then afterwards i go oh, damn it that was stupid but, yeah, <laughs> exactly uh, the other, the other, the other thing I think that that a young firefighter needs, is, and you can't take this away from the job, is you need physical toughness. Yes. And, and this job isn't for everybody. And whether it's in the volunteer fire service, which really the majority of of America is, or the career fire service, you damn well better be physically tough. Mm -hmm. This this job doesn't allow us to just go sit on the bench when we don't feel well, or when it's getting uncomfortable. And uh, we talk, I know we've, we, we can go way down the path of, of mental toughness and, and we do in a lot of, we're, 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 in, we're really, really addressing that in the fire service the last few years, but we can't get away from the fact that this is a physically demanding, tough job mm -hmm. and, it, and it takes tough people to do the job. And if, if you're going to be too soft and you just, you know, you, you can't do it. Then there's other aspects, and and in the volunteer fire service doesn't mean you can't be a part of the organization, because there are absolutely things that we need done in volunteer firehouses that somebody who can't physically throw a ladder or can't stretch a line, or you know is is claustrophobic or whatever the case may be. There's jobs for you still to do. We can we can still utilize what skills you've got for what is necessary. Um, I really learned that as a volunteer chief many, many years ago. But if I'm, if we're in a career position and we're really, truly, you know, there's a three person company, that backstep firefighter can't be so soft as to not be able to do the job. Mm -hmm. It's, um, and that's not to be, you know, uh, tough on anybody or to be, a, a, you know, uh, holding anybody down. It's just the bottom line. This is a down and dirty job. And no matter what technology changes we see, and obviously we've seen so many of them in our careers. And, and I think that, you know, we're going to continue to see great stuff. It's still going to take firefighters getting inside burning buildings, making the grabs, you know, stretching the hose, 
taking windows, whatever the case may be, that's not going to go away. It, it just uh, as much as much technology and how many advances we have, I can't see that just going away. Yeah. And as Dan Kerrigan and I share in Firefighter Functional Fitness, being fit for duty is a requirement for the job. It's not an option. It's not suggested. It is a requirement. And yes, we can talk about, you know, physical fitness. But like you said, being able to carry that 75 pound two fly 24 foot or, you know, 85 pound 28 foot extension ladder, being able to carry that yourself or figure out a way to drag it and raise it or whatever you need to do to be efficient and be effective on the fire ground, we have to do it. And it's not an option. And I agree with you 100% that physical toughness is rooted. And yet, like you said, we could go down a rabbit hole. Uh, We won't, but uh, physical toughness is rooted in mental toughness, right? And I I firmly believe that if we have the mental toughness established first, it's going to only yield physical toughness. But the more we build our physical toughness through, you know, sets and reps of whether it's sets sets and reps in a workout or sets and reps on the drill ground or wherever it is, that's only going to build our mental toughness as well. So they really go hand in hand, the physical toughness and the mental toughness. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. So we mentioned before that you've been in the fire service for nearly four decades. Congratulations on that. Uh, to, to say that you are still passionate about the job is definitely an understatement. So how have you been able to maintain your high level of passion and engagement for the job? I don't know that there's one set answer for that. I just, I got bit by the bug. I know a lot of, a lot of firefighters will tell you, you know, they'll say that, you know, it's just in my blood. I'm mm-hmm. a first generation. Uh, my sister and I are first generation. She's the one who led me down this path. Uh, she married into a firefighting family, and I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, and when I realized I wasn't going to make it to the big leagues, <laughs> and, <laughs> and my dad's business was not what I wanted to do my whole life, uh, I knew I always wanted to be a part of it and help them, but it wasn't going to support what I wanted to do in life. Um, I decided this was going to be my path and I just absolutely fell in love with probably uh 99.9% of what the fire service is. And it's just been my drive. Honest to God, it's been my drive since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's really funny. I, I, I took a two week vacation uh, a couple of weeks back, we took two weeks and we went and saw my son in South Carolina. And then we went down to the Florida Keys and literally just relaxed, which I haven't done in years. And on the ride home, I mentioned to my girlfriend that, you know, I'm terrified of retiring. I really am. And it's it's a fear that's for real because it's all I've ever done since mm-hmm. I was really since I was 14, other than play baseball and raise my children and, you know, work out at my parents' business a bit. And, um, you know, that's, re- you know, side jobs for some extra cash here and there. I've, I've been a fireman and I've identified as such and everybody's known me as that. And, um, it's just been my life's passion. Um, so I'll find something eventually that'll, that'll never fill this gap. That's for damn sure. And I'm not even close to wanting to go, but, um, it's just been my love. And, yeah. uh, and I think my motivation to, to keep going at this is I, 
I've never felt like I did everything as well as I could do it. Mm. So I've been on a, you know, I go on a fire alarm call. I feel that I should have been a little better. I should have addressed something a little better. Maybe I could have talked on the radio a little better. Um, you know, we go to an extrication and I would, you know, as a, as a boss or as a firefighter, I think, well, maybe I should have made this cut a little deeper. I should have done that. So it's that constant desire to be better at what you are. And um, I just think that that keeps me going, that I can always do something a little better, a little more and and get a little better at the job. And if I guess that's part of my drive, um, but it's just that. And, and I'm surrounded by fantastic people that make me want to be better at it. Yeah. That, that's a big that's a big deal you know from both from at work from my on-scene family you know all of it i just i want to be i want to be a part of it yeah i love that you said your driving factor and in, in your passion and staying so engaged in the job for so long is really your desire for constant improvement right i mean that's that's the main thing that's really pushed you to stay passionate and engaged for so long and and number two you know surrounding yourself with people who are the same way and, and their, their positivity, their engagement, their love for the job only pours back into you and, and stokes that fire and gets it going for you. So I am the same exact way. I love surrounding myself with the right people. And I think that's so important all throughout life, whether we're in the fire service or outside of the fire service. So two of your passions for the fire service are obviously training and obviously leadership. Same here for me and no surprise there. So let's talk about leadership first. What would you say is the best piece of advice that you would give to all aspiring officers out there, aspiring leaders who are out there listening today? Uh, I think that that one of the big things that I would do as, a, as somebody who wants to get to that position is really number one, stay engaged. You have to stay engaged. You, you have to understand what you want to do, why you want to do it, and, and don't lose sight of that. But in that, in that same vein, you've got to find somebody or, or multiple somebodies who you're looking up to, who you, who you recognize as a quality person, number one, as a quality leader right with that. And, and I wouldn't say just emulate them because they're, they're fallible, they're human, they're, they're going to make mistakes, but learn from them, whether it's finding a mentor, which is, you know, the buzzwords of, of our, of our probably generation at this point, um, or, but just somebody who's a leader who you have respect for, who you want to model your career after a bit, take pieces of them and use that for yourself, for your own development. Uh, you've, you've got to be very eager to expand your knowledge. Uh, we, nobody can lead on just what I know today. I have to continue to expand my knowledge to be a leader, whether it's, whether it's how to deal with personnel issues, whether it's how to, how to stretch lines or, or do tactical things, um, how to run a command post as you, as you move up into, you know, the higher ranks. Um, but it's all about being being able to expand your base, looking for somebody who's going to be there to kind of help you, guide you. Um, you know, you don't have to be tied to their their hip, but you need to be able to be around them and learn from them. And, and I really think that has helped me in my career. 
Well, I think you're a perfect example of everything you just said. So you said, number one, stay engaged. Number two, you know, emulate and learn from the leader you want to be like, right? Uh, and make sure you learn from their example and adopt their example of, of what they're all about. And then always expand your knowledge, be a lifelong learner. So, I mean, bam, three things that every firefighter and every officer or aspiring officer should readily adapt every single day. And I really believe that you've been a perfect example of, of all three of those. So we talked a little bit before about humility, right? But uh, I'm going to test you a little bit here um, with this question. So like I said before, humility is the foundation of, of successful firefighters, of successful leaders. So for you, what are some of the leadership lessons or one leadership lesson that you have had to learn the hard way? Gosh, I, that is a really, really hard question because I've probably learned a bunch of them the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> We've got all day. <laughs> yeah, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life and in my career. Um, I, I think not having a knee-jerk reaction to things. Mm. I, I got put in as a volunteer fire chief when I was extremely young, extremely inexperienced, and really not that bright. Uh you know, and, and I was very, very blessed to have good guys around me, older guys who saw my potential. I don't know if they totally saw my worth at the time, but they absolutely saw my potential. Um, and but my problem was being young, being really cocky, um, needing to get knocked down several pegs. Um, I would make rash comments or or decisions that weren't really thoroughly thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had a tough guy in, in the volunteer firehouse who really didn't like me. Uh, I'm Jewish. He's an anti-Semite big time. He was a racist and a bigot and, and it's just who he was. And he was proud that he had paperwork that proved it um, from, wow. his, from his employer. Now, could this get guy get water from a stone? Probably. Um, but it was amazing that there, he was such a, a strange guy because he could, he could do so many attaboys at one time and be so good to people and then immediately screw it up with something else that was really evil, you know, mm-hmm. and just that kind of person. And, and I, you know, I don't, I, I would never say his name, but the guys from the town where I grew up, they all know him. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would stir me up to the point where I was angry and furious for days. I would say things I shouldn't say because of it. Um, and I didn't hold my temper the way I should have. And I was, again, young, inexperienced, dumb, um, cocky, all those things. So I think as I sit here talking to you about it, and it's not something I really thought deeply about until probably just now, he taught me a lot of lessons, a lot mm-hmm. of lessons on how not to be the leader I was at that time Yeah. Um, to, to control my temper. Don't let somebody else rent that space in your head. Um, but he did it to me a lot. And as a volunteer chief, I suspended the guy like three or four times. Wow. Um, and he, he just recently passed away. And, hmm. um, and it was a shame because he had done a lot of good for a lot of people. But boy, the bad things that, that he would say and do to folks it, it tainted the guy's life, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah. you know, I didn't go to that. I try to go to every funeral I can go to 
throughout the, um, you know, even in the volunteer sector, if I, if I served with a guy who's passed, I, I try to get there. When it, when I saw his, I was scheduled for other things, but I had no intentions of clearing my schedule. Yeah. It was just, I still have that bitter taste of how anti-Semitic he was to me and, and how he treated other people. And, but I, but he taught me valuable lessons and that's, you know, what I, I know there's a section in your book and we, I don't recall the chapter, but I remember reading about it. And I've read this in many other leadership books in my life that you can learn as much from a poor leader or from, or from someone who you don't look up to. Right. As you can from somebody who you really idolize. Yeah. Uh, and I think he also taught you, unfortunately, uh, in a roundabout way, he taught you the importance of maintaining your composure and being a person with poise uh, to not, you know, I'm sure you wanted to react quickly uh, and swiftly to some of the things he said and did. Uh, but I, I'm sure that it taught you a thing or two about maintaining your composure and, and being a fire chief with with poise. Uh, I know a personal example in my life. When I first became a lieutenant, I was assigned to Captain Barger, and he's been on the job for nearly 30 years, um, been a captain a long time. And one of the things I really took away from our relationship and his example was if it's not a life or death situation that needs a, an immediate decision right this second, he was someone that if a firefighter brought a problem to him that you know, they wanted his solution, he would say, okay, let me think about it for a little bit. I think so many times as leaders and fire officers, we feel like, especially when we're new uh, in the position, we feel like we have to give a decision or input right away when sometimes it's best just to be like, okay, let me just take that in. I'll get back to you a little bit later today or tomorrow. Would you agree with that? I absolutely would. And then that was something that it took me a long time to learn. I, I, I could, I was very fortunate in a way that I could make a lot of knee jerk decisions that worked out, but I made some, <laughs> that really, I made some that really didn't go the way they, that I would have preferred had I, had I slowed down, had I taken the time to think about it, think about all the ramifications. Um, and that goes for life in general, personal life, fire life, everything. And, and yeah, I absolutely agree that take a moment, think this through, uh, obviously, on a fire ground, you have to make quick decisions. Mm -hmm. In the firehouse, quite often, we can we can take our time on the decision. I'll get back to you by the end of the shift or tomorrow or whatever. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That sounds like a great guy to look up to. Oh, yeah, he was. He was. And he taught me a lot. So let's talk about poor leadership. Now we talked about positive leadership and what we should aspire to. But let's talk about poor leadership. So, so many firefighters have reached out to me, and I'm sure they've reached out to you as well. And they ask me how to deal with poor, toxic leadership. So what advice would you offer to firefighters who feel like that? Uh, who feel like, you know, their passion and drive is just getting sucked out of them and the life is getting sucked out of them. They don't want to show up to work. Um, uh, they, they feel like everything about their drive is being extinguished. What advice do you have for them or what encouragement or hope could you offer to them? I feel for them. Like I, I tremendously feel for them because I lived that at one time way back in my career. Um, first off, I would say try your damnedest not to lose faith. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the fool's mottos is keep the faith. And, uh, and I believe that you keep the faith in yourself, which sometimes is very hard. Sometimes we lose faith in ourselves, but we got to find it. We have to dig deep. 
keep faith in yourself, keep faith in your core values, keep faith in the mission. Um, that I think those are all really important things. Um, I know Anthony Correa, who's, who's a retired chief from, from here, and he was out in Missouri at one time. Um, Tony is really, really passionate about the importance of, of having a solid mission statement and, and the core values of the department written out and, and given to the staff. Um, and, and I do believe that if you, if you can keep the faith in those things, if you have them, that's a great start. The other thing that I would really push for is I get that there are sometimes there are just bad chiefs or bad company officers or people that don't hold the same values in the fire service as we do. We can't always fix them and, and not everybody can be fixed. I know that, you know, the, the utopia, the utopian view is, well, we can work with that person and we'll get them to where we want them. Not everybody can get to where we want. It's just mm-hmm. if they don't want to, it's not going to happen. Right. Um, but I, I would say try to be the, the tail wagging the dog at times, you know, set the example of yourself. Um, I know of firefighters who their crew and their boss had no interest in fitness, but they were they want to stay in shape. So they would try to get the crew to work out together and the crew wouldn't do it. So they they set the bar. They started doing it themselves and the hell with it. I'm going to do what I can to show you that I'm going to be there for you. And maybe it becomes infectious. Um, but the biggest thing is just keep developing yourself because eventually those people will, will either go away or they'll retire or they'll get fired or they'll go to a different company or something will happen. Um, a good friend of mine was working for a fire chief uh, in the last few years who is an absolute egotist, has no idea what he's doing, but he's really well certified on paper. This guy's got every letter after his name. <laughs> and and it was frustrating. And and my buddy got run out of that department and he had a, a lifetime history in the department as a, as a call guy. And uh, luckily he works in a full-time department somewhere else. But just last week, the message was that that chief apparently got another job in another city. And he's one of those guys who just bounces. Yeah. And now he's going to bounce. And now I think the the you know, it's kind of like the, the skies open up and the ray of sunshine came down on those who were left, because now those who kept the faith and who really are trying to make it better might get that opportunity. Um, but I, I'd say just keep the self-development and and try to try to infect one person at a time with your good attitude and your can do and your love of the job. Yeah. And it, it does spread. I mean, I, I've seen that in my own career where there, I worked with some guys at times who were pretty downers. And then when they and, and they probably I'm sure they mocked me for my crazy passion for it all. But um, over time, some of them came around and, they, you know, once I got them a little little, maybe lit the fire just a little bit. All of a sudden they started becoming really productive and adding to the conversation. And then I learned from them too. So there's always that you got to find a positive because if all you do is find negatives every day, it sucks and it, it sucks the life out of you. Yeah. And they, it is so hard. Uh, we've all been there before and we've been under poor leadership at one, one point or another. And so great that you said, don't lose the faith, you know, keep the faith, keep going, stay positive. And really, if you have to, like you said, focus on yourself 
focus on developing yourself, whether it's your fitness, whether it's your training, whether it's your knowledge, you know, go back to school, do something that in which you are developing yourself um, and, and wait for the skies to open up. Like you said, wait for the sunshine because it will eventually. And also, like you said, and be the change, you know, your example is inspiring someone. Someone is watching you, whether you're a, an official formal, formal leader in your fire department, or, you know, you're the newest probie. Someone is watching you and your positive example, your positive mindset is going to inspire someone. So always lead by example, always be the change that you want to see within your own fire department. So let's talk about your training company, On Scene Training Associates, LLC. So Paul Combs, uh, who I recently had on the podcast, I love talking to Paul and just his energy and his positivity. So no surprise that you two are connected and, and that he works under you with On Scene Training Associates. He, he could not you know, hold back uh, the praises for you, Chief. And, and uh, you know, obviously they're, they're well-deserved, but tell our listeners more about on-scene training. So how it started, uh, what on-scene training associates offers and, you know, brag about your impressive uh, cadre of, uh, of instructors. Well, anytime Paul Combs says good words about you, it, you, you damn sure should be proud of it because he is, he is just an absolute gentleman and a, and, a, and, a, and a damn, you know, people don't realize about Paul. They see, oh, this guy's a great artist and he and he he's really good and he's got all this skill. He's a damn fine fireman. Yeah. And, and instructor, an instructor. Yeah. Instructor. I mean, I watched him teach a truck class for me out in Michigan last year. And um, he was up on the roof with Steve Shaw from Fort Lauderdale. And those guys, man, they were so good and so passionate. And I had so many students tell me, man, I, I didn't even realize I knew that guy drew cartoons. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, not only are they the most poignant cartoons you could ever find. Right. But what a great he epitomizes what I, I would hope everybody at on scene training would be. And, and they really are. So, all right, I'll brag about on scene. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try and stay humble, but I'm, I'm really proud of these guys and, and what we've done in our in our time together. Uh, on Scene started about, I don't know, I think it was six, 17 years ago, something in that nature. We're, we're pushing 20 years. Um, and it started simply with me doing some drills for local departments and seeing a need in our area. And my ex-wife having so much faith in me saying, hey, if you screw up, we're going to get sued. So you better start an LLC to protect us. And that was literally the only reason I started a business. <laughs> like, thanks for the confidence. And that proved out over the years. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's a whole nother book. <laughs> that's nother right. Chapter. That's a lot of chapters in the book. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we started the, the, the little company and Honestly, it was just me and, and, you know, Billy Hops and a guy from Ocean County. He was a fire marshal in Ocean County and a fireman in Beachwood, New Jersey, and, and really, really bright guy. Uh, and he and I would kind of go out and we would teach places. And, and um, he was the first instructor to kind of work for with me. Um, and then it just expanded. And little by little, I, I just kept making these contacts with great people. And then people would see what we were doing and say, hey, can you come teach here? Or can you do this for us? And and, it, and I'm not a good self-promoter, uh, so I'm sure on scene could be even bigger and badder than it is. But I, I just I'm not 
I don't know. I, I feel uncomfortable going out and saying, oh, well, we can we'll do this for you. And we're this and we're that. When other guys were absolute amazing social media gurus and, and are kicking butt in places. Um, but it is what it is. So instructor cadre wise, one thing that I thought was really important, and I, and I think I recognize this from going to conferences like Firehouse and obviously FDIC, which is, is kind of the granddaddy of them all, um, is you need that blend of, of everybody. I didn't like going to classes that were FDNY heavy or that were taught by a group of guys all from Ohio or all from wherever. I felt that you needed a really good mix of people. And um, so I followed that course. So I've got Eric Hankins. He's a battalion chief in Yuba City, California. Happens to a, a, a completely humble guy who is a damn fine fireman and a fine chief. Uh, won the Downey Courage and Valor Award at FDIC years ago for pretty tremendous rescue of a bunch of people. Um, but here's a California guy who swears that he should have been born on the East Coast 20 years earlier. You know? <laughs> um, and and but tremendous. And then uh, Bart Simpson, John Simpson, he's one of the founding fools. And he's in Osceola, Florida. Um, again, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met. I don't know that there's too many topics that Bart can't teach on and not just not just teach on, but teach on comfortably and truly deliver a high level of training. Uh, because I see mm -hmm. guys that they'll take any teaching job that comes around. Oh, yeah. You want, you want me to teach you, you know, how to how to stretch line? Yeah, I, I worked in engine for a year. I could teach you that. You know, you <laughs> want me to there's guys that will teach you how to spackle the walls, you know, and then teach you how to break them. So <laughs> we, we don't do that. We try to stay in our lane. Um, and, and that's a big thing to me. And then I, I look at the roster of our guys. We're redoing our website right now. So I had all the guys send me their bios and, and a photo and all that. And I'm reading their bios and, and I'm just kind of amazed that we have this amazingly varied group of guys from guys and girls. Cause we added, we added um, Jenny Grimma from St. Lucie, Florida, who is an absolute freaking rock star. Um, and that's a whole nother story, but they uh, it, it's a group of people who give a damn, who are professionals who work every day, even the retired guys work every day to get better at their craft. Mm -hmm. um, and they're from all over. So Carl Haddon uh, is, is on the board for fire apparatus magazine. One of my dearest friends and somebody who has really kept me on track, or at least tried to keep me on track in both my life and the fire service. Um, and he was the retired chief of safety for NASCAR was was on the job in california for many many years and uh went to nascar went roger penske and then worked for nascar and then and then moved out to idaho and ended up you know kind of thinking he was going to retire and didn't and you know has run with the fire departments in the middle of the the rocky mountains of idaho um and one of the most just rounded persons i know in the fire service um and the list just kind of goes on. Um, Danny, Danny McCauley is a, is a Boston firefighter, young, aggressive, ladder six guy in Boston with that Boston culture. And he's just, he comes from a generation of firefighters, a family of firefighters. His dad did 40 years on the line. Wow. You know, and, and didn't promote 40 years on the line. I mean, talk about an amazing mentor to look up to. That's what Danny mm -hmm. has. And that's what Danny brings to the table. He's fantastic. Um, some of our FDNY guys, uh, Matt Paglione, he, a lot of guys know Matt through social media. He's got boogie down truck on Instagram.
just a wealth of knowledge and, and energy like I've never seen, you know, um, and, and he worked in the cool thing about all of our guys. They all started in volunteer fire company somewhere and nobody forgot their roots. Nobody will ever big league you if they're on scene instructors. They they are humble. They've got a tremendous knowledge base. I learn from them every single day that I'm around them. Our group chats, I learn from those every day. Sometimes it, it gets way off course, but it's funny as hell. There's some stuff that goes on, but but the knowledge base like that you can learn from. Um, when I went to FDIC for the first time, I think it was maybe 97, somewhere in there. Uh, it was maybe a year or two after it moved from Cincinnati to Indy. And uh, I met these guys. I met Mike Campo and Dave Gallagher and uh, so many of these guys. And they just became really good friends and later mentors. And then we all started working together with On Scene. And I mean, a guy like Gallagher with with 40 some years in the fire service. And when he got forced out of his job due to injury, he found a new love, moved up to Massachusetts and now teaches for the Mass Fire Academy. So they never lost the passion. And that's the greatest thing about this group. And but they've done it. They've done it in all walks of life. Mm -hmm. They've done it in, you know, in the Bronx, you know, in, in tremendous ways they've done it in boston they've done it in california or ohio or or florida or here in jersey um and like i said the list just goes on and on you know it really does i love the diversity and the variety that you guys are bringing because you know like for example certain places in the country they don't have basements right and so right. in my neck of the woods and i'm sure yours basements are can be a pretty big deal and a pretty big hazard if you got a basement fire so it's it's so interesting to you know connect with these different firefighters from all walks of life and and learn from them and learn their unique circumstances and what they deal with. And, and you can also offer your perspective as well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that's just one thing that you really enjoy is just gaining the knowledge that they can pour into you and appreciating and having a different perspective. Is that correct? It, it really is. They've made my career. Uh, without these guys, I'd be nothing. I'd be absolutely no. I still say it's kind of like a Jimmy Buffett song, nowhere, you know, nobody from nowhere. Um, <laughs> but my career is absolutely hundred percent what it is because of these, this group of people that, I, that work with on scene and that are my dear friends and my, they're all kind of mentors to me. I, even the young guys, I, I look at a guy like Danny McCauley, who's, who's just into his thirties but he's so knowledgeable and so passionate and I just love what he brings to the table and, and makes me a better fireman. Um, and I, I, we got to a point with on scene not long ago where I said, shit, we're starting to get old. Um, I don't feel old except, you know, when I go to crack and get out of bed, but <laughs> mentally I'm not there, but we are, we got a lot of retired guys. And, and one of the things we do a lot, some, a lot of training companies, We'll find an area that all of a sudden they boom in. Um, and I've seen that with other training companies as well as ours. One of the areas that we do very, very well, and we've got really a kind of a home base in is Southern Louisiana. Uh, in fact, I, I've got a Zoom meeting tonight with the chiefs from down there. And we teach a lot in that region. And one of the things that we noticed was they're getting a lot of younger people into the fire service there. 
which is fantastic because that's not happening everywhere we need it to. Um, they've fostered a, a college program in, in the town of Thibodeau, which is the city of Thibodeau, which is fantastic. And one of the things that's a couple of guys noticed and, and mentioned to me and I noticed as well was there were several younger women in the program. And I'm thinking to myself, are they really dialing in and understanding what a 50 some year old gray haired dude from New Jersey or New York <laughs> is teaching? Right. You know, I teach it this way because this is physically the way I can do it. You know, I talk the way I talk. I got the accent that I have. Um, but am I really reaching these people or in the, in these younger females for sure? Because that, I think they're a huge part of the fire service and, and a great future. And when it came up, we said, we, we, I talked to a few of the on-scene guys and they're like, bring in Jenny. Jenny is uh, Jenny Grimma is a, a, a firefighter in St. Lucie County, Florida. Uh, she happens to date one of, one of our guys, uh, Chris Losey. They've been together a long time and, and just an awesome, awesome couple. Um, but she's a rock star because she's not a big girl. She's very, very athletic, um, hardcore into physical fitness, which is so important. She can show that example. Uh, and she's not a salty fireman. She'll tell you straight up. I don't, I don't see that much fire compared to some of these other places but she really, really masters her craft and works super hard at it and just wants to learn and goes to every training and all these things. So I brought her in and watched her teach. And one of the guys who helps us on occasion and is, is a crazy great dude is James Rose. James is, was in Charleston at one time. He now works at Annapolis uh, Navy base. And James is a salty fireman, saw a lot, he still sees a lot of fire in, in PG County, Maryland. And James was paired up teaching with her a couple of years ago. When it was done, he said to me, he goes, man, I'd take that chick on my line any day of the week. She can stretch, she can operate, and she's tough. And from a salty fireman like him to say mm -hmm. that about her, we got it right. Yeah, for you sure. Know? And, and we we went and I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but I'm so stoked about all this type of stuff. Um, we were again we're teaching in Louisiana, and there's this young girl in the group uh, named Abigail, and she was she was tough, young kid. She's probably 18, 19 years old maybe. And um, we were doing a forcible entry door, and I guess she had struggled during the forcible entry door, and I I, I wasn't part of that group, so I didn't really see it. The class is wrapping up. It's 930 at night. Everybody's kind of bushed and our guys are bushed because they had been teaching day tours and night tours. So we they call it, my guys call it the Louisiana grind when we go down there. <laughs> we, we try to maximize every hour we're there to get teaching in and uh, and it saves on travel expenses. So we don't have to keep going different times. So Abigail goes up to the forcible entry door by herself, resets the wood in the thing and starts doing one fireman forcible entry and she's doing it by herself none of us were really there to do it but she was so pissed at herself that she didn't get it the way she wanted it mm -hmm. that she was driven and i sw swear to god hand of the bible when we when she got done and forced that door there were probably 40 or 50 people standing around her watching her do it encouraging her and giving her some pointers and um one of our guys chris gay who's captain in north charleston stepped up and he's a really great forcible entry instructor and he just gave her a couple tips and boom she nails it and it was like a roar goes up in the group oh i love it i was so proud to see her do that 
And I really took it as, damn it, we just inspired this kid. And I think that year she was awarded their firefighter of the year or their rookie of the year or something of that nature. And it was, she had that wherewithal in her heart and soul long before she met on scene training. But I really do think we, we maybe fertilized it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Those are the moments that, uh, you know, you just love witnessing and being a part of as an instructor and, and a trainer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love that. While well, you were telling me that story it was giving me goosebumps because I, I, I love seeing people, you know, face adversity and then succeeding over it, whether it's, you know, a forceful entry door or something, you know, yeah. much grander in life. I love hearing stories of success like that. So I'm a firm believer that fire departments with robust training programs or fire departments who have, quote unquote, a culture of training also have firefighters with good morale. They have good job satisfaction as well. So in your opinion, why is training so crucial to building fire department morale and culture? Uh, I think it separates it separates the department from others. Number one, what I've found is the harder we train, the better we get, the more the more um, the more successful we're going to be. With success, be, I think it breeds high morale. Um, with competency, I think it breeds much higher morale. So I think those go hand in hand. Um, the other thing with, with that is a lot of that builds team continuity. It builds, it builds the brotherhood a little tighter in the firehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more firehouse pride when you start doing these things together. Um, great example, our, our fire department at work, we became a new fire department January 1st. Uh, we'd all worked together in a fire district setting. We were, we were uh, nine separate fire districts working in one town, kind of like having nine separate school boards, honestly. Uh, it was, it was, we, we, we made it work. But in reality, we could make it work way better by becoming one. And that's what we did. But in the process, we blew it up. We put guys all over and girls all over places where they may not be comfortable. And now what I'm seeing, we're only three months into this. And, and uh, I'm blessed to be in training. And I've got a training captain who is just doing fantastic work. I really believe he's helping drive this department forward to, um, to kind of to a status I didn't expect us to go. Um, but I'm really, I'm super proud just of the work those guys are doing, but I'm watching companies who, some guys who weren't truckies, but they're becoming truckies and they're training really hard and they're out there doing things and they're sitting at the kitchen table, becoming better talking about it, even, uh, just talking through processes and tactics and techniques. And these guys are learning and they're young and they're aggressive and I know 10 years from now, I'm going to come back here after I'm, I'm long retired and I'm going to look at these guys and they're going to be wearing the horns and they're going to be showing the young guys how to do it. And it's just breeding that high morale. It really is. And we have things that kill our morale, even in our new department where we're hitting speed bumps we didn't know we'd have. And, and I talked to the chief last night and he said, oh, man, that just happened. That's a freaking morale killer. Then again, yesterday we did bailout training. We're doing bailout training all week this week up there. And the crews who did it, some of them hated it. I don't want to do this. I don't like this. I don't think this is necessary. But then they did it. They got it done. They were successful. And everybody saw that. And so I think that they just go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They really do. And uh, 
I agree with you 100%. And uh, two quotes that come to mind uh, while you were talking. One is idle hands are the devil's playground, oh, <laughs> especially, yeah. especially for the firefighters. And, yeah. you know, and the other quote is, is spend more time training, less time complaining. I think, yeah. you know, if we occupy ourselves with more worthwhile things like training, um, like physical fitness, like, you know, talking about the positive aspects of the job, we're going to have less opportunities to complain, less opportunities to find problems or create problems within our own firehouses or our own fire departments. And overall, morale is just going to improve from that. Um, I think so many times in fire departments, uh, when we see poor morale, it's typically from a lack of training, really. And like you said, it's it's just the cornerstone uh, of everything, you know, not only building competency, but like you said, also building teamwork, also building confidence in the job, also, you know, providing passion and engagement for, for the job. So, so many things that training covers, so many things that training touches. And um, I think that really uh, fire departments with robust training cultures have robust morale and positive morale. And uh, I really love what you had to share with that. So while we're on the subject of training, and this will be my last question for you, uh, I know you're someone who also takes his physical fitness seriously. I know you have uh, a high level of ownership and accountability. I see you posting your your workouts uh, whenever you're working out. And I love seeing that, uh, being a fitness guy myself. But unfortunately, too many chief officers don't lead by example when it comes to health and wellness. And I'm sure you've seen this as well. So why is fitness personally important to you? And how can more firefighters and especially chief officers take action with their fitness? You know, we talk about training being a cornerstone. Well, fitness really is too. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've struggled with my, my weight a lot of my adult life, um, whether it's just getting in a rut, eating crappy not getting in the the exercise I should. And, and, and today I should, I should drop another 20 easily. Um, but I know that, uh, when I'm overweight, I don't feel good mentally or physically. If my, if my mental capacity is diminished because I don't feel well, I can't do my job as well. Um, and obviously physically, if I can't make the staircase or I can't, you know, I can't get that get that victim moving because I'm too fat and out of shape to do it. I failed the mission. I failed everybody around me. Uh, and as a chief, I'm no different. I was no different as a captain. I'm no different now as a chief. If I set the example of my gut hanging out, my shirt untucked, you know, not having any physical real truth, the, the guys know I can't do the job anymore, but I'm preaching they got to do it. I think it's setting a terrible example. Um, and and I, I know some people struggle with their weight and it's just some guys, there's nothing they can do about it. And I feel for them because it's hereditary or it's this or it's that, but you got to make the, the attempt. And I see some chiefs who just will not make the attempt. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's sad. Uh, it's sad because they're cheating themselves. They're cheating their family. Um, my thing is I don't, I don't, how do I teach people? How do I train people? And yet they look at me and, and see this guy who couldn't do it himself. That would, that's just not, 
it's not the picture of success at all. Yeah. And, and, and it's not what we should portray. And I, I've never been a do as I say, not as I do guy. As a chief officer, if I'm sending you somewhere to do something, giving you a task, I damn well better be able to do the task or at least truly understand every bit of that task myself and have by having done it myself. Um, so on the fire ground, I've never asked somebody to do something I wouldn't. You know, I, I, I firmly believe in the officer being the, the first in and the last out. Um, and you have to have fitness to do it. Yeah. It goes back to the men in the mission. And if I'm out of shape or, or I'm portraying a bad physical image, it's going to be said. I know the whispers are in the firehouses. And uh, so that drives me. And like I said, I'm not the picture of fitness. I'll never be shredded. I know that I, I don't have that physical build. I haven't had that physical build since I was in my 20s. Um, but I'll go and row 5,000 meters and, and it won't be a problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll lift and I'm, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not a gym rat, but I feel like I'm, I'm pretty strong for, for my age and then the injuries I've sustained in my career. So I'm no longer, I'm not going to have those uh, bench press competitions that we did when we were in our twenties in the firehouse. <laughs> you know, those days are gone because I'm scared I'll tear something and end my career. But, um, but I'm certainly going to go in there and, and do some good exercises that are going to give me some flexibility and some more strength and, and the ability to do my job. Yeah. And even as a deputy chief, the potential is I'll be in a burning building still. It's, it's rare compared to when I was a captain, obviously. Um, but being a deputy chief, I have that opportunity that I may be in charge of an op where the chief is on location running command and he needs somebody inside working and, and evaluating. So that happened uh, about a year ago. Great fire. And I was lucky. I was just getting relieved at shift change. And, uh, the chief took over and he ran command and I ran ops and I ended up inside on a building that we had three, four floors of fire. So I was, that's probably the only fire I've been in in the last God knows how long, but, uh, <laughs> but um, I had to have that physical capability and the men saw it, the crew saw that I could do that job. So that was important to me. The other thing is I want to not only be able to keep up with them, I want to lead them. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some of these young guys I can't keep up with. They're, just, <laughs> they're rock stars and I know it. And they're in their mid twenties, early thirties, and they're just badass. And, and I love it, but, uh, but they, they know that I can, I can hang. And that's really important. It's really important to me as, as a chief that I think that breeds even, they, they don't have to like me, but they can respect that I can do the job. Yeah. Or, you know, and that's, that's all of it. And uh, we, some chiefs disagree with me. I believe that working out on duty is a, is a good thing. Uh, I think it breeds team unity, continuity. Um, the firehouse I'm in now has a really little weight room. Yesterday at shift change, the guys are working out. Um, it was, I, I shift changed at 7 PM last night and there were a few guys upstairs in the gym working out. My relief came in and I wasn't even paying attention. I was sitting in the office and he looks down the hall and he goes, my God, what is it? There's no room in the gym. One was out. <laughs> One had drugged the the bike out into the hallway and was working out on the bike. Two were in the gym, you know, and I said, yeah, it kind of looked like a prison scene down there, you know, but uh, that that is a good problem to have in the firehouse when there's yeah. no room in the gym and you yeah. got to work out out in the bay or the hallway. Um, but what I, I love that you said is that, you know, you are not the perfect 
you know, you're not going to have shredded abs. You're not going to have, you know, be chiseled. You're not the perfect example uh, of fitness. You're not going to be on the firefighter calendar, but still you personally, after being in the fire service for nearly four decades, you still take ownership of your fitness. You still, still take it seriously because that's what you're called to do, right? I mean, whether you're going to be uh, running ops on the fire ground or uh, whether you just want to provide the right example for your firefighters, you're still taking action with your fitness. You're still taking ownership of it. And I think that's so important. And like we said before, you know, training makes everything better. Physical fitness makes everything easier, makes everything better for firefighters. If you have a poor level of fitness, it's only going to make everything else harder, especially on the fire ground. You know, and what's the cliche we say all the time about fires? Put out the fire and everything gets better, right? Yeah, <laughs> Take yeah. your training and fitness seriously and everything else gets better, including, like we said, culture and morale. So yeah. everything's tied together. Um, but, you you know, really, like you just said, it just comes back to personal accountability, personal ownership, worrying about yourself when it comes to your physical fitness and, and not worrying about what anyone else is doing, but take ownership of yourself. So uh, I'm so glad that, you know, you're providing the right example and uh, for other firefighters and other fire chiefs to see as well. But Chief Heller, it's been awesome having you on the podcast today. So let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you and how they can learn more about on-scene training associates. Well, they can they can get me on all the social media venues, suppose I guess. The uh, you know, I, I've got Facebook and and Facebook for on-scene training associates. Uh we're on Instagram as as well. Um I'm on um uh, uh I, I do some Twitter, but not a lot. Uh, but we're working on this new website, and I think that'll that'll increase our social media uh, views. So, uh, but you can you can reach out to me anyway. Email me. Go to the the old on scene website is still up. My email is all there. You can give me a phone call. Anything I can do for somebody. It's not about on scene training, getting jobs. If I can help you with something, or give you advice, or just my my take on something, if it helps, reach out. I'm, I'm I'm honored that somebody would ask that, um, but I really appreciate this. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. My my plug to, for on-scene training is there's nowhere really we won't go. Uh, there are only a couple programs that I won't offer because I feel that other training companies do it better than we would, and I, I don't think it would be fair for us to try to compete with them, and, and even if we could do it great, I, I like to stay in my lane, and I think that, that they, everybody should have a lane, and um, so I would say as far as the training companies go, if you're bringing someone in, yes, on-scene training is absolutely interested. We want to come. We will give you a, a cost-effective training program that you're not going to forget. You know, we're going we're gonna to bring some high-energy, high high-level people with great experience and some awesome programs to your town uh, or, or to your country or wherever you're at because we've, we've been in the South Pacific. We've been in several U.S. territories, China, Vietnam, Mexico. Uh, so we've, we've been around uh, and we're more than happy to travel and, and get it done. Even in the COVID world, we'll, we'll do what we need to do to, to do it right and do it safe. Um, my only advice is vet out who you're bringing in. Uh, truly vet out who you're bringing in because that's something that there's a lot of pop-up training companies. Some are going to be very, very good. These guys are, there's a Anybody who thinks that we're the only ones who can provide something and we're the best and we're the most badass is full of crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, 
there's always somebody and, and, but vet them out, make sure, because there are a lot that out there that took a class and now are teaching a class and that's not good. So you want the best and you want the best bang for your buck. And, and unfortunately it is a business and, and, uh, there are costs, you know, and, and you got to figure out what, what provides that return on your investment. But, for sure. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm thrilled that, that, the fire service is really what it is. I don't think that the fire service is, is taking a negative turn at all. I really think that it's, it's on its way back up. I think we have our ebbs and flows and, and, you know, it's uh, at this age and this much time in the job. I love it. And I think it's only going to continue to be great and um, just keep that faith, man. Keep the faith. That's right. Keep the faith. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It was an awesome time. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Remember, stay fit, stay safe. And remember, when lives depend on us, success is our only option. Thanks for listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Go to firefightersuccessbook.com to learn more about the book, Firefighter Success, 20 C's to Firefighter Excellence. At the website, you can also download the free special report, 101 Rules for Firefighter Success.